the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today's show is pre-recorded. What I thought we'd do is take one of the auto awareness segments on buying used and new cars and maintaining your car. Basically, we call it economics, stimulating your family's economy. And what we're going to do is take and coordinate it with our website, because if you go to the detailed topic section, you'll see the same exact topic appears there, agconomics, stimulating your family's economy. You can read that and follow along if you like, or use that to review what you hear today. I think you'll like it. Now, several months ago, we had a phone call from a lady, and her question was about buying a new car, but we also mentioned buying a car three years old. And that's sort of planted to seed for this program. So let's listen to that call first, just as a prelude to the rest of the show. And we're going to our phone lines with Deanna. Good morning, Deanna. Hi, good morning. Yes, good morning. There's a woman. There you go. <laughs> I have a question. Sure. We own a 2000 Chevy Tahoe Limited. Okay. And for us, it has been the greatest vehicle ever. Okay. We've done, you know, no major work to it or whatever. Uh-huh. But I'm calling because I need you to simplify some information for sure. me. The 2000 Chevy Tahoe Limited has a GMT 800 platform. Okay. Now, what's the difference between that and the GMT 900 platforms that replaced it? That because is, we're looking to buy Yeah, all that suburban. is is options. It's, it's an option package. Okay. It's basically it's going to be the same vehicle. When they start talking about different platforms like that, you're talking about option packages such as shocks, spring rate. I don't know what all they are. You'd have to go to the GM website. It'll give you a download of exactly what it all is. But basically, it's going to be the same engine, the same transmission, although you may have a six-speed in the new one. Okay. There's a 4L60E was a standard transmission that came in all Tahoes and Suburbans and all that for a long period of time. Okay. They've since gone, I think it's a 6L40E, which is a six-speed. So if it's got a six-speed, it's going to be a different type of transmission, which they seem to be okay. We haven't seen any trouble out of them yet. Of course, they're still fairly new. But it's basically just going to be an updated vehicle. Okay. You know, it's, it's got just newer stuff on it. You know, they're constantly supposedly improving, although in my in my estimation, sometimes they go backwards. But right. Right. that'd be the new body style also. Yeah, it'll be a new so body it's style. Have, it's going to have the new frame under it, Okay. Uh, the new running gear. Okay. So it's, it's going to be a... a like Lewis was saying, it's going to be an updated vehicle from what you previously what you have owned. down. Mm. Okay, well, how does that play into we're wanting to purchase, you know, a Suburban? Of, mm-hmm. w- do you have a suggestion as a model year that was close to that or that was, you know, uh, something you've seen has been the best Suburban model year for maintenance and things like that? Yeah, most all of them, any vehicle is or can be good and any vehicle can be problematic. Okay. And the biggest thing is the way you take care of it. Okay. If you perform the maintenance that's due on time, every time, then you're probably not going to have much trouble out of hardly any vehicle you buy. Now, of course, there's always that one vehicle that just something was wrong with it, but that's kind of real rare these days. Okay. You know, they're using so much robotics and all that just about every vehicle, one's the same as another. The whole thing that I've seen is, number one, buying the right vehicle for you. Something that you want, something that you like, something that meets your needs. And number two, just take care of it. And when I say take care of it, that's changing all the fluids and stuff. If you go to my website, there's a section in there on the main menu called All About Maintenance. And if you read that section, that is going to give you pretty much everything you need to get two to 300,000 miles out of almost any vehicle on the road today. Okay, okay. I can actually see that right now. Yeah, with very little problems. 
Okay. It's, it's just a matter of how you take care of it and okay. getting the right vehicle to start with. Where I see people who are real dissatisfied with vehicles, they're generally they bought the wrong vehicle. You get someone who will buy a Ford Excursion to go back and forth to the grocery store. <laughs> they're totally unhappy with it because the mileage is bad, it, it right. rides rough, but they bought the wrong vehicle. Right. Or they'll buy a Corvette and try to toast <laughs> you know. Right. And those are extreme examples. But as long as you buy the right car, because every vehicle is designed for a purpose, and if you right. get the right one, you, basically a Suburban is just a Tahoe with a little bit more room in it. Right, and that's exactly what we need. Yeah, if, you're, if you were happy, we need the same car just with a little bit well, more room. If you were happy with your Tahoe, yeah, you like you like the Suburban. Yes. Suburban is a unique vehicle in that it's a certain size. It's got plenty of room without being overdesigned. There's right. really nothing else in that category. Okay. Now uh, we also were listening to your show, and mm -hmm. is it? Do you still stand by the fact that you know to buy a car maybe about two years old? Three is, is actually the perfect. If you ever look at the depreciation schedule on cars, they hit maximum depreciation at three years. Okay. And they also, in three years, they're probably not hurt at all. Okay. Just because there's very little damage you can do to a car, they don't really even require much maintenance before three years. So if they only changed the oil and that was it, they still hadn't really hurt the car. Okay. You start getting out four and five years, if they had neglected the car, you'll have problems. I see. If you go much newer than that, you're not getting your full benefit of the depreciation. I see. See, it's, okay. it's lost as much value as it's going to lose. I, th I think the formula goes something like 28% the first year, 24% the second year, 18% mm -hmm. the third year. Then it drops to about 10%, 5%, and then it goes to 1% okay. after that. So the amount of money that it's going to lose, you could buy it roughly half price in three years. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you guys so okay, much Deanna. for simplifying it for women. Well, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Deanna brought up an excellent point, and that is buying a three-year-old car. Depreciation on a car is the amount of value it loses, and we don't see it every single day, but you have to be familiar with it because it's the amount of money you would have to spend if at the end of three years you want to trade the vehicle in and go get another one. Most business people are all too familiar with depreciation. In fact, the United States government even allows you to deduct depreciation off of your federal tax return because it is a real expense. For instance, when I buy a new air compressor, I may spend $5,000. Well, it may last for 10 years, but every single time that it cycles on and off, it's wearing out. One day I've got to replace it, and the money has to come from somewhere. You can actually break it down to a per-cycle cost if you had a mind to. More likely, you break it down to a yearly cost. It loses so much of its value every single year. Now, the way that it works with cars is this. In the first year, they lose about 25% of their value. In the second year, about 20%. In the third year, 15%. So that after three years, you've lost roughly 60% of the value of the car. Now, what that means is if you bought a car, kept it three years, went to trade it in, you'd have to come up with about 60% of what you paid originally, at least, not counting the amount the car has gone up, to get another one. So that is a real cost and real money that you're losing. Now, it just makes sense to go ahead and let someone else lose all that money. After all, the reason cars lose so much money is because there's so many things the car has that have nothing to do with the value of the car. For instance, you're paying for the health care for the auto workers. You're paying for the million-dollar commercials they run during the Super Bowl. The hundred or so cars they run into the wall to make the government happy as far as crash tests. The people who sue the car company because the cup holder wasn't big enough and it scalds their leg and they sue them for a million dollars. All that is tacked back onto the price of a new car, but it has nothing to do with the actual value of the car. That's why they lose so much value so quickly. 
Now, what makes sense is to walk in at three years, find a car three years old, and buy that. Because you can buy it for about 40% of what you would have paid for a car that's brand new. Now, in three years, there's very little that could have happened to that car that's going to really overall affect the performance of the vehicle down the road. When you start getting out much further, if the car is not maintained, you start having some irreversible problems. For instance, if you bought, say, a six-year-old car and the coolant was never changed in it, well, you may have some pretty corroded-up cooling system to have to deal with. Three years is just not a whole lot of maintenance even due on the car. Another thing is I don't get real excited about the mileage of the car. Really, mileage is almost irrelevant. Most cars three years old are going to have about thirty to 40,000 miles on them. But let's say you found a car three years old with 60,000 miles on it. Well, that's good. It means the car was driven a lot. Cars that are driven are a lot better than cars that sit up. It's sort of like the old wives' tale about the little old lady's car, and you buy a car that's 15 years old and has 10,000 miles. That is generally one of the worst money pits you'll ever see. Every single part of the car is corroded up. All the hydraulics are leaking. Everything's gummed up because the car's just been sitting up, which is the absolute hardest thing in the world on a car. A car has been driven, a three-year-old car with 60, even 70 or 80,000 miles, is probably still almost like brand new. So that's something you can use as a bargaining chip. When the car's mileage goes up, the price comes down. So you can actually use that to your advantage. You're not too concerned about the mileage. What you're looking for is a fairly new car. About three years or so will be the absolute peak. Now, every single thing that we're going to talk about today also applies to your own car that's maybe three years old or four or five. You already own that car. You know it's in good shape. You know it's been taken care of. So you can take the same exact steps to prolong the life of that car. After all, it's just a whole lot more fun going on vacation with your family and spending your money on things you really want to instead of paying it out in the form of a big old car note. If you go to the website and look up the article, one of the first things you'll see is what we call a bathtub-shaped curve. Now, what a bathtub-shaped curve is, it's pretty well known in the quality control industry. It's a curve that's shaped roughly like a bathtub. That means it has one high side, and it drops off rapidly, and it has a long flat side like the bottom of the bathtub, and the other side starts to curve up. Now, what does that have to do with cars? Well, every single manufactured product that's ever been built can kind of follow a bathtub-shaped curve. If you look at the point poking up, that would be considered problems you might have with the car. If you look at the length, that's considered times or miles on the car. Now, every new car generally has some kind of little problems, you know, just little knick-knacking things, the recall, the rattle, the bumper that was loose. Those are the things you bring it back for, and generally they get weeded out pretty well in the first year. Now, after that, the problems tend to drop off drastically. They go down to almost nothing, and they hold there for a period of time. Now, that's the fun time. That's the time when you're driving basically for free. Now, everyone knows that at some point in time, the car is going to start to wear out, and those problems are going to start to rise back up again. If you broke it down and put an A on the very beginning and a B on when the good time starts, a C on when the good time starts to end, and then, of course, a D at the end of the life of the car, what you want to do is keep the BC time as long as possible. And that's really not that difficult to do. We have a three-step process that we recommend. And that is to, number one, select the right car. Number two is do the proper maintenance. And number three is be careful the shop that you pick when you do repairs. Because not every single shop is the same. There's a great variation between one another. And a lot of the problems that we see are actually problems from improper repairs. Now, whether you're going to start out with a new car or a pre-owned car, should I say, 
or you decide to apply this same logic to your own existing car, it just makes sense to find out exactly where you stand right at the beginning. When you're purchasing a car, what you want to have is a pre-purchase inspection by a qualified expert. That's where someone can go in, check the car, and make sure that nothing is wrong with this particular car. Because even though it's only three years old, it could have been wrecked, it could have been flooded, it could have been overheated. There's all sorts of things that could have happened that can be easily revealed in a thorough test. Now, if you decide to keep your own car and you're trying to decide whether you want to go ahead and put some money into it, get it in good shape, where you can drive it for 10 more years, we would have what we call a general inspection. That's where we'll go all through the car and determine any problems it already has or any pending problems that it might have. Now, almost any really good shop can do these for you. And, of course, at Agco, we do quite a bit of these. We have a very, very thorough general inspection as well as a pre-purchase inspection where we can find not only the problems the car has, but very likely the problems that it's going to have coming down the road. Now, a lot of folks say, well, I'll just buy a certified used car. Real important to remember, the word certified really has absolutely no meaning at all. All that a certified car is is a used car that generally has an extended warranty tacked onto the price. So what they do is they charge you a couple of grand extra for an extended warranty, add that back to the car's price, and call it a certified car. Many times they're not properly inspected. So never, ever, ever fall for that certified car stuff. That's more of a marketing term than an actual technical fact. So what you want to do is have that car inspected. Now, how about the Carfax report? Well, Carfax reports are okay as far as they go, but again, Carfax simply buys information. They buy information from the warranty companies, they buy information from the manufacturers, and they buy information from the insurance companies. Now, that's great, and it will tell you if a car has been wrecked and paid by insurance or if it was repaired under warranty. But how about the car that went in, had a burned-up transmission, and was not repaired? They have no way to know that. It's not going to show up on the Carfax report. Same thing with a car that was wrecked and was not repaired under insurance. In fact, maybe it was pieced together in a backyard shop somewhere. It's not going to show up on a Carfax report. So while it's not a bad idea to get a Carfax, it's simply insufficient of itself. So what you want is a pre-purchase inspection, or if you're going to keep your own car, you want to have a good general inspection to make sure you're in good shape at the start. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Man, I wish I wouldn't have bought that brand new car last year. In these times and with that note, our vacation plans are shot. No beach trip? No, Bastrop. Ooh. To visit the in-laws. Ouch. During my mother-in-law's surgery. Please stop. Here's a little agconomics for you from Agco Automotive. You know, in times like these, a few bucks spent on preventative maintenance instead of a new car note makes the most economic sense. Then your car will last longer and you'll spend less money and less time in the repair shop. Agco calls it the lowest overall cost of driving your car. Jack, what about you? Hauling the family to Biloxi in that old 2005 SUV again this year? Nope, we're leaving it at the airport while Chris and I head out to the Bahamas. Wow. Yep, there are perks to a little maintenance on an old car, Dave, my boy. For more Agconomics, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. The cats all holler hooray. you hear them say, beat me, daddy, hey, to the bar.
Welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and today's show is pre-recorded, but that doesn't mean you can't get your questions answered. You can always log on to the website. That's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com, of course, standing for Altazan's Garage Company. And there's just all sorts of things you can do on there. If you click on the contact button, you can send me an email, and I'll get an answer back to you, generally within 24 hours. And that's any kind of question you might have about your car or anything automotive or just anything you want to talk about. Go ahead and send me an email. Glad to do it. That's where I get most of my ideas for the vehicle question section. So if you click on that and do a little search, you'll find sort of a quick answer to a question. For instance, that's things like, when should I change the calipers on my car? Or should I turn the brake rotors on my car when I do a brake job? Things like that. Sort of a short answer. Now, there's also the detailed topic section, which is a much longer answer and on sort of a specific topic. For instance, there are topics on all filters. There are topics in there on all changes, when they should be done. Topics on preventing power window problems. Topics on preventing air conditioning problems. Stuff like that. Those will generally go between 250 and 500 to 1,000 words on a specific topic, generally with illustrations as well. In fact, today's show is completely based on one of those detailed topics, agconomics, stimulating your family's economy. And that's what the whole show is about. What you could do is follow along by going to the website, or whenever the show is over, you can go to the website and review. Anything you might have missed, it'll all be in there. You can also print it out and have it in case you decide to go looking for a car. You want to refer back to it. Just great information. We think you'll really like it. www.agcoauto.com. Check it out and see what you think. Now, just before the break, we were talking about selecting a car. That is, if you're buying a car to replace your old car or something like that. And selecting a type of car is going to have a big, big impact on how well it does over a long period of time, how much it costs you. So when you do buy a car, one tip is if you've got a trusted auto repair shop, you might just ask them for their advice. What kind of cars do they see the least problems with and what kind of cars do they see the most problems with? Another thing is you want to always avoid the bottom of the line. You know which ones I'm talking about, the little cheap cars, which are basically throwaways. They're not really built to last a long period of time. They're just sort of an entry-level vehicle, and they're not going to give very good service over a long haul. Ironically, the very high-priced ones are the same way, simply because they have an awful lot more gadgets and gizmos on there to break. Not only that, but the way a car gets to the $50,000, $60,000 range is that each part of it costs a lot of money. So when you start replacing those parts, again, it costs a whole lot of money. It's a lot less expensive to maintain a Chevrolet than it is to maintain a Cadillac. So that's something else to figure in whenever you're looking at buying a car. Now, again, you have to remember my definition of a car is something to get you from point A to point B reliably and somewhat comfortably. Now, I know there are folks who a car is sort of a status symbol to them, and there's nothing wrong with that, except this information is just not going to apply to them. If you buy a car for a different reason, then probably this is not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But if a car is something to get you from point A to point B, and you want to spend the least amount of money you can on it, then you're going to get an awful lot out of this. Now, once you buy your car, or if you're going to keep the car that you already have, and you just want to start taking a little better care of it so that it can give you a lot more miles at a lot lower cost, then there are things you have to do. That's why I always refer back to our website, because there's just so many really good articles on maintenance, and maintenance is truly the key to preventing problems. Obviously, anyone can repair problems. Well, not anyone, but problems can always be repaired once they've occurred. But it's just a whole lot better if you can prevent those problems. Now, what do I mean by maintenance? Every car has a schedule that the manufacturer provides, and it has certain things that are done at certain miles. 
Now, that's awful hard to try to remember. So what I recommend to people is maybe just make it a habit once a year. Go ahead and get the car into the shop and let them go through it and check it for everything it might need. If you go in once a year, that'll generally be between 12 and 15,000 miles for most people, and that will stay right in line with what the manufacturers recommend anyway. So if you get in the habit of a yearly checkup, go ahead and set it at a certain month every year. You're not very likely to forget it, and you can start preventing a whole lot of those problems that have been plaguing you. Another thing that comes up all the time, and that is oil changes. And, of course, you hear all kind of foolishness about going this many miles, that many miles. I can tell you, 40 years of working on cars, it is a whole lot cheaper to change oil a little bit sooner than it is to deal with a sludged-up engine or an engine that's leaking because the seals have gotten hard or an engine that's burning oil or knocking or so on and so forth. The recommendations they give are very confusing because they have what they call normal driving, which almost no one falls under, and then they have what they call severe driving. Now, more accurately, normal should be called ideal and severe should be called average. For instance, if you drive where your normal trip is between 5 and 10 miles, which is almost everyone, you're going to be considered severe driving. If you drive in weather over 95 degrees, you're severe driving. Well, in South Louisiana, that's at least four months out of the year. Stop and go traffic. In South Louisiana, that's probably every month out of the year. All those put you into the severe maintenance category. Now, if you look under the severe maintenance category, they generally are going to recommend the 3,000-mile all change. It's just a whole lot cheaper. It can prevent a whole lot of problems. Now, if your average trip is maybe 40 miles, let's say you live in Baton Rouge and you work in New Orleans and you drive that 65, 70 miles every single day, you could easily go longer on oil change. Once the engine is up to full temperature and just running, it's very, very easy on the oil. What happens is that any moisture that's in the crankcase is going to heat up, it's going to boil, it's going to turn to steam, and the PC system is going to scavenge it right on out. So the oil lasts a whole lot longer. That's why if you take off on vacation, change your oil before you go, put four or 5,000 miles on it in one long trip, that oil will still be just fine. You don't have to stop halfway through and get your oil changed. So oil change needs to be based on the way you drive, but more important, don't go with those extremely long intervals. It's just way too expensive. Now, when we talk about maintenance, everybody thinks of oil changes, but there's lots of other things that need to be maintained on a car as well. What maintenance truly is, is something that does not cost very much that prevents something that costs a whole lot. Now, one of those things would be a transmission service. A transmission service is relatively inexpensive, generally in the $120 to $200 range, but it's protecting a transmission that can be three dollars to $4,000 to totally rebuild. So it just makes sense. On transmission service, about every two years are 30,000 miles. And more important is that you do not want a flush. What you want is a proper service. A proper service is where the pan is dropped if it has a pan on that particular vehicle. The filter is replaced, bands adjusted if it has bands, valve body bolts are tightened if that's applicable, and then the proper fluid is refilled, the unit's put back together and test driven. That's a proper service. Doing that will prepare you for that 300,000 miles that you really want to get on your car without too many problems. Next up on the list is coolant. And coolant that comes in your car nowadays is generally long life coolant. That means it can go three to five years. However, the years are more important than the miles. A lot of times you'll see something like five years or 100,000 miles. And in five years, you may only have 30,000 miles. Well, that coolant is still 100% gone at five years because of chemical reaction and it occurs 24-7. So you want to have that checked. 
Now, if you're bringing it in for your yearly checkups, what the shop will do is check the pH on the coolant. pH will tell you when the coolant is starting to turn acidic. When it becomes acidic, that is a pH below 7, it starts to attack the system. Corrosion starts to occur, and it can do a huge amount of damage in a very, very small time. So that's when you want to do a proper radiator service or coolant service. A proper service is to drain the entire system and then refill with the proper 50-50 mix and distilled water. There's all sorts of different coolants on the market, and you got to be sure you get the right one back in the car. For instance, General Motors cars use a coolant called DexCool. It's an orange HOT coolant. It's not the same as the green coolants that you see out there. A lot of the cars have their same thing. Ford has a yellow coolant. Toyota has a red coolant. And there's just lots and lots and lots of specialty coolants. You want to get the right coolant installed properly, pre-mixed properly, and with distilled water. Another thing that people do not think about as maintenance, and that is a battery. A battery in South Louisiana generally is going to have about a three-year service life. A very few is going to go to four years, but most of them are going to die around three years. So why change it at three? Well, number one, it's much more convenient for you because you don't have to be broken down. It's much cheaper than a record bill, but not only that, it cuts down on a lot of wear and tear and undue stress that you will be placing on the alternator and the starter. For instance, a bad battery that's weak may still crank the car just fine. 8 to 10 volts will crank that car over. However, the alternator is working double time trying to keep it up. Now, you don't want to have to buy a three dollars to $400 alternator to try to get an extra year out of a $60 or $70 battery. Just doesn't make economic sense. So go ahead and replace that battery somewhere around three years. Next thing is the filters. There's a fuel filter that a lot of vehicles have that can be replaced. There's an air filter, and there's a cabin filter. A cabin filter is the air filter for your air conditioner. Now, when those go bad, and not every car has them, but a lot of them do, they tend to restrict the airflow into the air conditioner. That can cause all kinds of problems from cycling on the air conditioner, which could burn up the clutch, to a fan motor going bad because it's drawing too much amperage through the restricted filter. So you want to replace those as well. Now, I hear the commercials all the time saying, change your air filter and get more gas mileage. That really cannot happen. In fact, the government recently did a study on air filters, and their findings were exactly what we've been telling you for years and years. An air filter would have to be so stopped up that the engine would even run, and even then it won't affect the gas mileage. On modern cars, it just can't happen. The O2 sensors will see the engine getting too lean, and they'll simply go in and cut the fuel back. Now, that doesn't mean air filters don't need to be replaced. When dirt goes through an air filter, which you can definitely do on a dirty filter, that is one of the leading causes of wear and tear on the engine. So even though your gas mileage won't increase, you do need to change that air filter when it gets dirty because you're saving a lot of wear and tear on the engine. Now, next thing would be spark plugs. And I know folks always say this to me. They say, well, I've got 100,000 miles. I know I should be changing the spark plugs, but I don't have any symptoms. Well, don't wait for the symptoms. That's sort of like stepping on a rusty nail and waiting for a red streak to go up your leg before you go get a tetanus shot. You don't do that. You don't want to wait until you have symptoms because when you have symptoms, probably the first symptom is going to be a burned-up ignition call or coils. So what you want to do is replace those spark plugs probably around 80,000 to 85,000 miles, and that will prevent you from having those symptoms that you really don't want anyway. There's all sorts of other things, and a lot of them revolve around fluids. For instance, if you have a rear-wheel drive car, there's generally going to be a differential fluid. Now, all of your Tahoes, your Suburbans, all of your vehicles, Chevrolet pickup trucks, Ford pickup trucks, Chrysler pickup trucks, almost all vehicles that are rear-wheel drive have differential fluid. If you tow with the vehicle, that needs to get changed out 
probably around every 30,000 miles. If you don't tow it all, it might make as many as 100, but it still needs to be changed out. Power steering fluid is another often overlooked fluid that does go bad and does cause problems. Now, that's one that's so easy, you could actually do it yourself. You just suck a little bit out, pour some more in, do that a couple of times, and you're good to go. But it's something that needs to be done because if not, the conditioner in the fluid does tend to break down over time, and that can cause you some problems. Brake fluid. Brake fluid is made out of alcohol and absorbs moisture right out of the air. So you want to change that brake fluid normally around every two years. Again, miles don't really matter. It's just strictly time because the chemical reaction occurs 24-7. Belts, hoses, and even the thermostat do wear out on cars. So you can prevent an awful lot of problems by changing those ahead of time. For instance, if you let the car go until a hose blows out, the engine overheats, you can very easily blow a head gasket, which could cost you several thousand dollars to repair. Why not just go ahead and change that hose before it goes out? Now, that being said, the hoses on modern-day cars do last a very long time. We see them last sometimes as much as 10 to 15 years and still look almost like new. So at least have them inspected once a year and then replace them before they go bad. The belt, if it's a serpentine belt, will generally make about sixty to 65,000 miles. But you don't want it to break because if it breaks, it's going to leave you stranded. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Jack, how was your trip to the Bahamas? Oh, Kristen and I had a blast. Yeah, I'm going to miss our beach trip this year. You know, paying notes on that new car. Yeah, the new car. I was going to buy used, but Big Joe over at Big Joe's Autoplex kept telling me how business was slow and he was hurting, practically giving new cars away. So I spent the extra 15 grand for the new one. Yeah, saw Big Joe on a trip. Actually went out on his boat with him. Big Joe has a boat in the Bahamas? Technically more of a yacht. Here's a little agconomics for you from Agco Automotive. In times like these, buying a new car may not be your best option. Keep that old one and just keep it running right with preventative maintenance from Agco. So I'm stuck paying this car note while Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky Joe cruises the Bahamas. Look, Joe was a little upset. He lost his house, you know. Really? Yeah, I think it was the one in the Keys. Or maybe Aspen. Oh, give me a break. For more Agconomics, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. Of course, today's show is pre-recorded, but you can still get your questions answered by logging on to the website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. And just hit the contact bar, and that'll take you right straight to an email slot where you can send me an email. And I always answer those emails generally within 24 hours. Of course, I will be on vacation this week. So if I'm a little bit sly there, just have to cut me a little slack. I will get it back to you. If you haven't received an answer back within a reasonable amount of time, go ahead and check the return address and resend that. I know several times a week I will get an email. And when I go to reply, it just pops back to me with something like wrong email address. And what happened is someone forgot a character or maybe put two characters or maybe transposed a few characters in their return address. And I just can't send it back to them. Now, I never, ever ignore emails, so if you hadn't gotten an answer back from me within a reasonable time, just please check that return address and go ahead and send it to me. Now, while you're on that site, there's lots and lots of other things to do as well. 
One thing you can do is you can subscribe to our newsletter. That goes out every three months or every quarter on the first of the quarter. And you can receive that as long as you like. comes to you right in your inbox. you ever get tired of receiving it, you just go ahead and hit the unsubscribe button and it'll take you right on off the list. You can always take our Agco Auto Quick Quiz where you can win a free Agco t-shirt. Kind of test your knowledge of the Agco site. And there's a couple of others on there. For instance, there's a little contest on there about so you want to be an auto tech. It asks you three or four or five general sort of automotive-related questions, and you kind of see how you score there. It scores itself, and at the end, it'll tell you how many you got right, how many you got wrong, and there's even a little cheat sheet that'll take you to the right place where you can find the answer. Another one on there is name that part, where it shows several different automotive parts, and you get to select what kind of part it is. Kind of fun. You might have some fun doing it. Why don't you try it out and see? Of course, there's the client testimonial where you can see some of the testimonial letters and emails that some of the nice folks have sent us over the years. And, of course, if you would be willing to send us one, we would sure put it on there as well. We always invite those. Those are really, really great to get. We'd like to share them with the guys who do the work on the cars. And just a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. We've received quite a few of them over the years. We have a section on the history and evolution of AGCO, which will take you all the way back to the one-style garage in 1974, all the way up to the current digital sign that we just recently added, history and evolution of AGCO. Of course, some of the most helpful things, I think, are the detailed topic sections and all about maintenance section, which is our topic for today. Tells you all about maintenance, much, much more than I have time to go into on the radio show here today. But pop on and see what you think. It'll just give you all sorts of information, all sorts of ideas, how to maintain your car and how to get a whole lot of miles out of it. In fact, you might even pop on a little article on how long can a car really last. Got at least two ACO customers with 500,000 miles on their vehicles. Something interesting you might see. www.agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. Hop on and see what you think. I think you'll really like it. Of course, on today's show, we're talking about agconomics and getting your money's worth out of your car. If you don't get your full 200 to 250, maybe 300,000 miles out of a car these days, you're really not getting your money's worth. If you're having to trade your car in because of excessive repairs at around 90 to 100,000 miles, you're really only getting about half the life that you paid for out of your car. It's really not all that difficult, and that's what today's show is all about. There's an old saying that goes, you get what you pay for. And I think that really should be changed to you never get more than you pay for. Because sometimes you don't actually get what you pay for. And that's really true in the automotive business, particularly when it comes to maintenance. Unfortunately, a lot of folks who really want to take good care of their car are being taken advantage of. And that is sort of the lowest form of life on the planet as far as I'm concerned. But there's lots and lots of shops out there who just take advantage of the fact that folks do want to try to take care of their car. They do this with something called a wallet flush, in my opinion, and that is all these different types of flushes that try to sell people really because they make money on them a lot more so than it's any use to the car. In fact, there is a detailed topic section just on that particular title called wallet flushes. You might pop on that and see what you think. Some of the more popular wallet flushes are, of course, the transmission flush like we've talked about over and over again, fuel injection flush, and engine flushes. Those are three of the more common ones. Most of the time, they do very little, if any good at all, particularly if you go in with no symptoms to the car and someone tells you you need a flush, a flush of this type or that or the other. For instance, you go in and they say you need a fuel injector's flush. Well, the sign of fuel injectors being dirty is generally a real rough idle or something like that. Let's say your car's idling just fine. 
very, very doubtful you need your injectors flushed. In fact, fuel injectors are self-cleaning. They're designed to clean themselves, and almost any good grade of gasoline is going to have detergent in it, which is going to clean the injectors anyway. So if you use a good grade of gasoline, it's very, very unlikely that you're ever going to need a fuel injection flush. So just say no and call AGCO. And that's not to say that a legitimate shop might inadvertently use the word flush or regularly use the word flush to describe legitimate service. It's just that it's been overused so many times and oversold so many times that the word just has a really negative connotation. So watch out for the flush, especially when there's no symptoms going in. The last part of making your car hold up is selecting the proper shop to make repairs. Your repairs can be very expensive, and you don't want to have to pay for them twice. And even more so, you don't want to have to pay for something that was caused as a result of the repair. And that happens more often than you might imagine. In the shop, we call that TIM, T-I-M, Technician Induced Malfunction. And that's where a service was performed that actually created a problem that ended up with a bigger problem down the road and something else had to be repaired, if not redid the entire work that was done before. One of the things that I feel is cause of that, and that is the flat rate pay system. Now, what that is for folks who don't know, a lot of shops pay their employees based on a flat rate. That is, a book gives them the amount of time that it would take to do the job. For instance, if they do a 30,000-mile inspection, the book may say it takes an hour and a half. But if they do the job in two hours, they still get paid an hour and a half. If they do the job in one hour, they still get paid an hour and a half. So the incentive is to rush through the job. I know fellows that work in a lot of these shops under the flat rate system, and they turn in 50, 60, 70, even 80 hours in a week. Now, that's just impossible because there's no way you're not getting paid for time to test drive the cars. You're not getting paid for cleaning your tools. You're not getting paid for washing your hands. You're not getting paid for going to get parts. So how could you exceed 100% efficiency, much less up to 200%? The way it may go, a lot of times on, say, and again, a 30,000-mile inspection, is that awful lot of those items is inspect this, inspect that, inspect this, inspect that. And with those inspections that you're supposed to be doing, there are things that need to be done. Now, if you're on a flat rate system and you're trying to rush through the job, you may just kind of get your little check sheet and go check, 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 check. Yeah, it's all okay. Or give it a cursory glance instead of really spending the time. Basically, what the flat rate system does, it rewards you to rush through the job and penalizes you when you take your time and do the job properly. And that's really not in your best interest. So you want to look for a shop that does not use flat rate. Maybe a shop that pays their employees salary. Now, another thing when you're selecting a shop is you're looking for a shop that does not have a high turnover rate. And you know the ones I'm talking about. Every time you go in, there's new service riders, there's new employees, and no one really stays there very long. Generally, when you have a high turnover rate in a shop, there's a problem. The people are not happy working there, and the reason they're not happy working there is generally not happy with the type of work they're doing. Most auto technicians are really pretty good guys, and they really want to do a good job. A lot of them are caught in systems that reward them for doing the wrong thing and even penalize them for doing the right thing. But a lot of them won't stay in those systems very long. They'll either leave the industry or at least keep moving around until they finally find a shop that will treat them properly. Now, what are some of the kind of repairs that you might see? Of course, we've talked about a lot of times an improper done coolant service. If you don't do the coolant service properly, for instance, if you put city water in that's got chlorine and fluoride and silicates in it, and that can actually cause damage to the cooling system down the road. You have the coolant service done, and two years down the road, the radiator's eaten up, the heater core's eaten up. Who knows what? Maybe the intake gaskets. The car may overheat and blow a head gasket. 
all of that goes back to the fact that the car wasn't serviced properly. For instance, they may have put the wrong coolant in it or didn't put enough coolant in it. Some folks don't realize that antifreeze does a lot more than just keep the water from freezing. Antifreeze is a coolant. It keeps water from boiling. But maybe even the most important function of all, it is a corrosion protectant. And it has to be mixed in a 50-50 mix with distilled water in order to give you the proper corrosion protection. That's extremely important on today's cars because you have so much aluminum. And aluminum can be eaten away very, very quickly if you have a corrosive chemical. So you want to make sure you're getting the proper repair. What are other ideas of repairs that are done wrong? One of the most problematic things that we see, and that is a brake job. Cars will come in, and they've got a set of cheap aftermarket brake pads. It's bad enough because it doesn't stop very well, and they squeak and they squeal. But then when you go to redo the job, the rotors are warped. The shims that go on the back of the pads have been thrown away. And now, instead of spending maybe $200 to get a proper brake service done, you end up spending $600 to fix all the problems that were caused by the improper service that was done before. Another big thing is when you push the pistons back into the calipers to put the new pads on, you're supposed to open the bleeder screw to expel the old fluid. Even better yet, flush all the fluid out before you start to get some nice clean fluid in there so you don't have a problem. If you don't do that and you push that piston back in, you're taking all the trash that accumulates in the piston. And there's lots of it in there because it's the lowest point in the system. That's where all the trash and crud tends to accumulate in the piston bore. Well, when that piston is forced back into the bore, it back flushes all of that corrosion back through the system. If you have an anti-lock braking system, you can very easily end up with an anti-lock brake light on maybe as much as six months later. And you may not ever trace it back to the fact that the brake job was done improperly. Another really popular thing is on tires. And that's where they balance wrong or mount it wrong or just cheap out around tires put on the car. When you save $200 on a set of out around tires, but then they end up beating up the rack and pinion, which ends up costing you $1,200 to replace, it's really not a very good deal. So what you want is a good set of tires on the car, a good premium set of tires, and it doesn't stop there. They have to be mounted properly, and they have to be balanced properly. You can easily ruin a very good, high-quality set of tires by mounting them improperly. In fact, there's a detailed topic section called Ruining New Tires, and it'll go into that in a lot more detail than what I can explain on the radio. You want to make sure you're getting good tires to start with, that they are mounted properly and they are balanced properly. And that way they'll give you years and years of service without having to keep going back, having the tires rebalanced, having the front end realigned, and beating up shocks, beating up ball joints, beating up a rack and pinion. You could literally spend thousands of dollars to try to save a couple of hundred dollars on a set of tires. One last thing is shops that lack diagnostic ability. That's where they throw a lot of parts at a problem, hoping to fix it. Shops like that also tend to use cheap parts. Now, a lot of times what they'll do, the car will come in, and let's say it's got a little misfire. Well, they decide it must need a fuel pump, so they go ahead and they stick a cheap fuel pump on. Now, not only have you paid for something that you didn't need, still have the same original problem, but now you've got a cheap fuel pump on the car that's not as good as the one they originally took off. And the same thing with the plug wires, the spark plugs, and on and on and on. Many times the parts that these types of shops put on are not as good as the parts that they actually took off the car. So you want to avoid all of that. And the way you do that is by selecting a proper shop. Now, for a lot more pointers on selecting a proper shop, just go to the Agco Auto website, and right there on the front page says how to find a great shop. Gives you all sorts of good information right there. And, of course, that web address is www.agcoauto.com.
agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com. And awful lot of good information on there, including the same show that we just broadcast today, Agconomics, Stimulating Your Family's Economy. Pop on after the show's over, and you can review, and if you happen to miss anything, it's all written out for you. Just to kind of recap a little bit, you want to select the right type of vehicle, or if you're going to take your own vehicle, make sure it's in good shape before you start. You don't want to put a whole lot of money into fixing up a vehicle that's got serious problems. Do all the maintenance on your car. That means get it in about once a year. Go ahead and just think of it as an annual physical. Set a certain month out of the year, and, hey, that's the month you're going to bring your cars in and get them worked on. Or if you've got more than one car, you might want to do one one month and one another month. Mark it on your calendar, and every year, go ahead and get it in. That will prevent so many problems that it will really make you a whole lot of money down the road. Of course, the last thing is selecting a good shop, a shop that's not going to cost you more money down the road by making improper repairs. Do all those things, and you'll get 250, 300,000 miles of trouble-free service, and you'll have a lot of extra money to spend on things you like a whole lot better, like maybe taking the family on a good old vacation. How about a cruise? Yeah, I'm all for that. Well, I really hope you enjoyed our show. Maybe learned something. Maybe picked up some tips that will save you some money down the road. And I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on my experience in the automotive industry. Hey, have a great weekend.